0: Hello and welcome to episode 21 of The Money Talks and today we've got a very special guest uh, but also invited in a very special way because we've got Abhishek Podar of Plum who's been uh, no- nominated to come on the show by Ashish Tulsian of Possist. and I'm so glad because uh, you know when I went through Abhishek's story this is really a story worth talking about. So welcome to the show Abhishek.
1: Hey, thank you so much, Anirudh. Thanks for having me. Uh, I didn't know the backstory
0: about uh, the nomination, uh, so thanks, Ashish. Ashish actually not, uh, was talking. I had asked him a question that which company in your anti portfolio hurts you the most, and his answer was Plum, and he said, <laughs> and that's that's how the conversation really started. You know, and uh, and in fact, I, I think I have uh, so I, I run this weekly uh, blog where I nominate three companies, you know, every week. That I like, and I think I've nominated Plum there as well. As like, well, this is this is uh, you know, serendipity, right? So I might as well find out who the who these founders are. If I like the if I like the guys, and I think I should have invested in them. And then if Ashi's like the guy, and he says this is a company that hurts him from his anti portfolio, it's definitely guys worth talking to. And, <laughs> you I, know, and you guess, what, guess what? The hunch was right. So we're gonna have a very interesting conversation. No, thank you so much, Anirudh, for having me. To, to all the viewers, guys, I'm if this. If there's any questions you want to ask a founder that has spent, you know, half his career in as a Silicon Valley, uh, you know, founder and half his uh, career now in Bangalore, in India's own version of Silicon Valley, this is the time. So go ahead and put your comments, uh, you know, questions in the comments section, and I'll ask them from Abhishek as we go through the conversation today. So Abhishek, are we ready? I think there's a lot, lot to cover today, so I'm going to get going. Definitely, let's so- go for it. <laughs> Abhishek, you're, uh you studied at IIT Kanpur, right? And after that, you went to Stanford. I mean, the usual, you know, I IIT and MBA combo that that everyone dreams of. But then after that, you started working for McKinsey and and, and Digit. So, uh, you know, what was the role? What was the role you were doing over there at at McKinsey? And how long were you there? Yeah, definitely. Uh, So, uh,
1: slightly backstory and some correction as well. So, uh, I did my IIT and then went to McKinsey. uh, During the IIT times, actually, there were like a stack rank of companies. So, to think about that, hey, these are the top ten companies uh, you should go for. If you get into those, go into these companies. Then these are the next ten companies. Then Uh, McKinsey was one of those companies. I got very, very lucky uh, to get into McKinsey. I never imagined that I would be there. But I just went in there uh, without even knowing what. That means, right? Uh, I was doing my engineering, and then I land up in business consulting. I had no idea uh, of what business consulting is, but I think it's a really good choice uh, of uh, for the first real business role uh, in the sense that uh, from day one uh, I would land up uh, at a as a, comp- at a at a at a time, uh, with the PXOs there uh, trying to figure out uh, how to uh, how to make changes in their business, right? And why wow. am I am i am day one of doing business Uh, these are guys who have been in business for 30 years 40 years so huge huge learning curve uh, right from day one and you're like thrown into the pool and uh, like hey go and learn so i think the best part i could have had for my career. i think uh, within those two years uh, i realized that a consulting is is a good start you learn a lot about how to do business but uh, i have to do something different Uh, i have to build products Uh, i have to build companies Uh, i can't be an outsider Uh, as a consultant But the challenge is limited to just what can be done rather than doing it and my style is or uh, my comfort is with actually doing it so the first startup that i joined was digit uh, so this was back in 2009 it was a tech and media startup a very different kind of company where we were building a a, a number of niche media brands uh, and digit was one of those brands was it was a technology brand really good experience with the startup again built that uh, brand especially the online brand from scratch up made it profitable within the first two years uh, of doing the business but that's when i went found to my these school. So Stanford ha- actually happened after McKinsey and Digit. Are you part of that WhatsApp group of all the McKinsey founders? Yeah. So there are there are two
0: groups. Yeah, uh, and one of them is uh, is called a mafia group. But yes, I know, I know. Because you've got three. I got. We've I I, got four founders that are in that group today. So we're, we're oh, wow, wow. In no,
1: there, is a, there, is a, there is a mafia group, and then there is a huge. Is actually a huge group of uh, uh, these days. there's a huge group of founders from uh, McKinsey as well. So there is there is a McKinsey
0: founder group as well so we've got we've got manish from purple Ar- arvind from kabaddi we've got naya from devi chakra and so on and so forth also these mckinsey founders actually i mean i, yeah, I think so there's a different really class when it comes to their level of research i think it's, it's a, because i think mckinsey sort of inculcates that into you right research and, and good presentation skills and i can definitely see that there's a huge difference uh, because of that but do you think that has affected or Positively influenced your uh, entrepreneurial style.
1: Yeah, it does. It does. I think. See, it gets the basics right from day one. Basics like how do you be really disciplined about things? How are? How can you communicate really well with uh, either either the customers or your team members or or whosoever uh, that person is, right? How do you write really well? And it is so. When I say communication, it's both oral and written communication, right? How do you think? How do you think strategically about building a business? And then, how do you actually go deeper into making it happen as well? So I think in a lot of ways, I would say where I am is because I started with a company like McKinsey, which uh, gave the right
0: basics. And and then after you got uh, after you got done with Stanford, right, with your MBA, you briefly joined a startup called Swelo. What, was that a career choice? Or was that something you know, like you, you know, obviously went from these big, large companies with lots of perks, and then you, then you go to a startup, right? I mean, basically, what, what it was doing was compared to cloud, from what I understand, and uh, and that you, know, you were there for a brief time. So, what was that a conscious effort to get into the startup startup space?
1: Yeah, so that was, was a very small stint and that happened while I was at Stanford itself. The idea there was to, so I was very new to Bay Area. That was my first time literally in the US and literally in the Bay Area, right? Uh, I heard a lot about Bay Area, but I had no clue about what that is. So for me, it was just absorbing as much as possible. And one way to absorb that was being at one of the startups. So I did spend a few months at Swelo. Uh, it was very similar to Cloud. A Very early stage, we were a team of 10 people, got a good flavor of all parts of business and building business but right uh, within the within the third month actually that company got acquired by Facebook oh. that was that was a there was literally a very very short stint and again uh, i was already i was doing my masters i hadn't completed my masters so i couldn't just move to uh, move to facebook so that that stint ended within within those 3 months but uh, again a really good exposure to uh, how silicon valley startup works and how it's different from uh, from an indian startup when i say indian startup 9.9 media was an indian startup but that was back in 2009 right where uh, the startup craziness hadn't happened in india very very few people were doing startup people didn't know about what the silicon valley culture is right so people uh, the startups in india had very similar culture, I would say, to a
0: mid-sized or a large-sized company in India, uh, and not really a, a startup culture. Definitely going to talk about that difference because you actually, you know, if you go we go through your history. You've actually seen both sides that because all right, I mean, so were you at all a part of the whole acquisition talks? How quickly did that happen? Right? I know it was, yeah, third no, I, I, the- I was not I was I was not part
1: of the acquisition talk I was like I I literally joined the company and I think within a month the acquisition conversation started happening so I was not the insider into those conversations I know what happened but uh, uh, I definitely didn't get the flavor of uh, how the acquisition really happened
0: but were you there to pop the champagne though or, or or was that was that only done by the founders <laughs> no, no, we did. We did. We did.
1: <laughs> we did. But it was not a big acquisition as well. It was, I would see. Uh, and that's one of the other difference between US and the uh, uh, the Silicon Valley and and, and the Indian startup ecosystem, right? So uh, one of the things that happened a lot in Silicon Valley is there are small acquisitions that also happen. And uh, it could be an active hire or it could be a real product acquisition. And this was an active hire uh, rather than an acquisition. So it was a very small exit, nothing big to celebrate. Uh, but again, it gives one, it gives exits to uh, people and, and the investors, even if they are small, right? Uh, and it keeps the ball rolling for the founders. And that's one difference, I think, between US and India. I think India has India had a few large unicorns plus exits, but India doesn't see that high frequency, small
0: exits that, that
1: can return money for investors and for example,
0: I think that is changing. If I look at look at the last, I'm mean, just doing some tallying for a media article. and uh, I think in the last three years, we've seen uh, I think almost eighty percent of our exits in the last three years, and and not all of them are massive. You know, Oyo style one fifty to three hundred x kind of exits. Many of them have been four x, five x. You know, like we had Super Daily get acquired by by Swi- by, by Swiggy. We had yeah. Find get acquired by by Reliance and Now Floats and all that. So. I think the methodology is changing. It's a maturing ecosystem, but it's still pretty young. But you're right. I mean, I don't think it's is as frequent as saying, you know, here's a great product. Company are working out. Let's help the product move on. Right? I think I think Indian founders tend to be, for some reason, very very uh, too close, too intimate with their product, as if as if they're not going to build another one in their lifetime.
1: No, so, I think it's both founders the, and, the, and 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 the, and how the large companies think. Right. Think of uh, see in in the U. S. Who is doing this acquisition? It's the Google and the Apples and the... Uh, Facebooks of the world, right? And these tech companies have realized that one of the fastest ways to grow is to acquire these products slash talent. But you wouldn't see. I think Reliance is showing that, and you've seen a lot of smaller exits because of Reliance. But uh, uh, apart from that, if you look at the top five companies in India, maybe you'll see three or four examples of those exits. And if you compare that to the US, if you look at those
0: top five companies, they would you would probably see hundred exits. I think. I mean, we're obviously digressing a little bit, but but. I think a part of that is also, you know, because most Indian tech companies don't have great market valuation, right? If you look at the U S tech companies, I mean, they dominate, I mean, the, I, I think I was looking at some statistic, I think of the overall market, I mean, overall GDP, the tech companies of the U S probably are worth more than the GDP of the U S at this point. But then you, you left, uh, I mean, you, you graduated, you started a company called rent zeal, right? And it seems to be, it was a fashion project, you know, basically renting party, uh, Uh, Party supply rentals, uh, and and I'm not sure if the idea came from the Swelo acquisition party, but but seems like you know it it was it was three amazing founders, by the way, and we're going to talk about a little bit about the founders. But where where did the idea come from? What was the you know uh, genesis and and where did this come? How long were you there for? A couple of I think a year or so. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. What happened?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think I think uh, that would have been amazing story, which is. The idea coming from 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 the acquisition party itself but no that was not uh, that it didn't happen that way it was basically just uh, from friends observing uh so in in at stanford itself we had quite a few friends with uh, with small kids right these are kids one year two year three year old and we would see them hosting quite a lot of parties there we, we spoke to them on Hey, how are you setting up these parties? And we saw uh, uh, we saw a lot of challenges in terms of how they would go about uh, renting stuff uh, for a party. So. Uh, It came from, uh, it actually came from the community, from a lot of conversations with our friends at Stanford. The way uh, this actually, uh, uh, so what we were building at Redzeal was uh, we wanted to build a eBay for rentals, right? Uh, uh, You had seen eBay, which was bringing the sellers and buyers together on one single platform. And it was solving for the logistics, solving for discovery, solving for payments. This is back in 2012, Uh, we thought the world is now going to evolve to a shared economy space. where. People would rather prefer sharing rather than buying, and this could be anything and everything in the world, right? I mean, in the U.S., uh, the two largest uh, rental industries are cars and houses. Uh, but beyond those two industries, uh, nothing had really evolved as a large organized rental market. So there were large pockets of rental markets, uh, and party supplies was the third largest market. Actually, if you look at U.S., in U.S., annually, twenty billion dollar of rentals, party supply rentals happened, but completely fragmented, uh, com- absolutely fragmented, all non-tech, small mom-and-pop shops doing that rentals, right? And then you extend that to other industries, be it uh, be it clothing, be it camping gears. Camping is a huge industry in, uh, in the U.S. again. You extend it to any industry, any product that uh, you could imagine, uh, and there is a rental industry out there. Uh, so our idea was, how do you actually build that eBay for rentals? And we explored a few models. Uh, we explored a peer-to-peer rental model figured out that hey the market is not yet there to build that you need a lot of trust in the market and very hard to build that trust uh, at least in the next decade or so so we evolved that into then a more ebay like which is small business to consumer product rental Uh, within that we chose party supply as the first uh, vertical to go after. So party supply was just a go-to market for us. Uh, was an entry point, but our goal was to go into all the other verticals.
0: Interesting. Actually, I, I I evaluated evaluated a lot of businesses like that early in the fund, and I thought that really was a business. I mean, what you were talking about 2012. I thought there was a business then 2018 in the similar space. Uh, but but it, but again, it, it is a very tough space. You know, especially in India. Like you said, more than the trust. I think it's also. The, uh, you know we don't only really have mathematical models that people understand like, it's my acquisition price my you know written down value and then I have to recover this if the, if the founder doesn't understand that math you know you can very quickly lose money here that's, that's something India, that have the second problem which is people don't appreciate anyone else's property uh, true a- and and not just that I think they also feel that they always feel like I'm getting gypped right in some way or the other. Right? So, it's always like, you know, I can get this cheaper, I can do this cheaper. And then the EMI model in India, it's, it again, it repeats with that model. So, so, you've got all of that happening. But you put together a pretty awesome team. Uh, Abhishek, you, Vivek Goyal, Varun, Dodla, all three of you guys. How did you guys meet each other?
1: So Varun uh, actually was one of my classmates at Stanford uh, MBA classmate. Uh, So had known Varun for quite some time and uh, we were actually this was an idea that uh, we worked on together uh, right from day zero. We figured out that hey this is what we want to build and then Varun was actually a a close friend of Vivek's wife and that's how we first met Varun I think at one of the parties and uh, we started talking and he eventually liked what we were thinking and what we were building and decided to join us as a co-founder. I think we are a pretty amazing team. Actually, Varun is one of the investors in what we are doing right now. Uh, And uh, Vivek is, again, back in uh, India, is building an amazing company called Play Shifu, a very, very, uh, very amazing product. We've done the
0: research on this. He raised over 20 million from Verite and Varun's working in a company that just raised 14 million in March. So I guess the powerhouse team, and you obviously raised a ton of money yourself, so so you know powerhouse team that that you know hopefully if it had gel together would have probably been a unicorn right?
1: no i think i uh, i think so uh, we we did uh, Renzil for a year and a half for, i think we had an amazing team i think it was just wrong market to be in over time what we figured out was uh, the unit economics is very hard to make it work. The kind of operations that is required to build and scale this business and the cost doesn't support the kind of business that is uh, that we are building. So I think, uh, and I think one thing that we did well was uh, we realized it pretty early on. Uh, there are companies that have spent a lot of money after us and again came to the same conclusion that hey, it's very hard to build a profitable business. But I think it was, a, uh, it was a market issue where the amount of logistics that's involved in building a rental business is huge. And especially in the US where uh, the manpower is expensive, right? If you have to uh, go and pick up stuff from someone, uh, deliver it to someone, again, pick it back and deliver it to someone. You are looking at a huge logistics
0: cost, and, and you know it's it's very interesting the way you you quantified all of this, right? So I'm guessing you're somebody that collects and maintains data at a very minute level. So I am a
1: Marwadi, <laughs> so and I think that's a, uh, that's something that I've been nurtured right from day one. Building a profitable business is uh, is something that's ingrained in any Marwadi, right? You, uh, what you're doing, uh, you're always looking at hey can I build this into a profitable business? So even before I start thinking of any business uh, or any business model, I look at the numbers very closely. And two things that I look at is uh, one is hey, how large it can become. Don't want to build something that is a nice to have and has a very small market to it. Uh, And two, then can it be profitable, right? Is the unit economics going to work out? It may not work out in the short term, but I should have uh, I should have very clear picture into that Hey, maybe a year from now or five years from now. And by doing these three things, this is going to be a profitable business. If I don't have that clear answer, then uh, very hard for me to give my full uh, faith into that, uh, into what I'm building.
0: So, and, and I think that the collection of data like you just talked about is so important because at the end of the day, that, that really... Uh... You know, like you said, marwaris just have this thing that we need. To, we need to see accounts. We need to see numbers every single day or every single every single week. And and you know that 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 actually inculcates a very good habit because you exactly know what's going on in the business. You look at the business as like a car. That's just throwing out all these numbers. You got to figure them out and make sure. You know, what does the car need next? Right. And what do I need to accelerate or, or press the brake or or change the gears? Here. Uh, yeah, and I think that's
1: it is something. Sometimes it happens to our disadvantage as well. Uh, I think sometimes we get too too focused on the numbers and uh, forget looking at the big picture. So sometimes it hurts us as well uh, in terms of building a large company.
0: But uh, a lot of times it does help. I think it helps you more often than not. I think you're, there's obviously innovation in those numbers to look into. But so, how's your relationship now with Vivek? I, I know Varun invested in, in Plum, uh, but but how do you guys uh, you know? exchange a lot of ideas because Varun still still in the valley and working in an amazing, amazing company as chief, chief architect.
1: Yeah, no, uh, both of them are really, really good friends. Vivek is actually back in Bangalore. Vivek came back to Bangalore uh, a year before me and he kept pulling me back to Bangalore. Uh, uh, so really good friend. We exchange a lot of ideas both on what we're doing. Heavy user of his product as well. But uh, end of day, yeah, really, really good friends with both of them. I think it was just Uh, that the idea didn't work out and then he was someone who wanted to uh, start his next venture immediately right after that when it didn't work out. So he moved back to India. I wasn't ready to move back to India.
0: uh, So he started something uh, on his own at that time. Because you were about to do the dream, Abhishek. You were about to go work for Google and you worked there for three years. uh, (laughs) You had a loan to pay. (laughs) Well, you go to Stanford, you're definitely going to have some loans to pay. But but that being said, I mean, uh, uh, what was that like? like did, well, how did you get? How did you get into Google? No, so that was uh,
1: so uh, actually Google happened uh, right when I was at Stanford. I I had done a few interviews uh, during that time and had a few offers, including Google. But uh, when we were doing Rentzil, we had put that off that day. Uh, we are building our own company. Eventually, when we figured out that hey, this is not working out, that's when uh, I thought, hey, between every all the options that I have, uh, maybe it's a good time to go. Uh, and work at a company like Google, I hadn't done a formal product role. I had worked at a startup uh, and then I was building my own startup and it was all uh, self-learning. I had never learned from a mentor or folks that uh, who have done product, who have built product uh, for decades, right? So uh, that was the primary reason. Uh, I think, again, like I said about McKinsey, right? McKinsey gave that, McKinsey was one of the best places to inculcate how to run a business. Uh, I think Google was one of the best places to inculcate how to build a product, how to build in uh, engineering. I think that was one of the best decisions that I could have taken, and the learning that I had, uh, especially in terms
0: of product and engineering, is immense. Did you imagine that when you would go to, the, I mean, to the US for the first time, be, you know, be around Silicon Valley, and then you would have Facebook, Google, entrepreneurial experience, acquisition, people making making unicorn products, all of that within five or six years of getting there? Yeah, no, I think uh, a
1: lot of things where, see, if you are if you are in the right place at the right time, a lot of these things just happen uh, around you, right? And you have no control. I don't think I had any control over that acquisition happening. I didn't have any control over Kasser doing a unicorn, right? Uh, it just happens. I think uh, what's important is you keep doing the right things. If, if you are doing the right things, you are working with the right people, uh, eventually the right things will happen around you as well. Uh,
0: but, uh, I would say, yeah, most of these things were not in my control, but it's, it's, it's almost like, you know, people say you want to go live the Hollywood life. This would be like, go live the startup life, right. And, uh, be in the, you know, be in the Bay area. And next thing you know, you know, every, you, you throw a stone and there's a founder getting acquired or a founder, you know, uh, building a unicorn over there. Uh, but then you were also part of the Google, Google pay platform, right. Which now is taking over India I mean, six years later, but it's, it's the rage in India today, the the Google Pay platform? What was what was uh, the product? What were you guys trying to build? Uh, so this just, was yes, our yes. Second,
1: second attempt at uh, payments. Uh, a bit of background is back in 2011, Google had tried something called Google Wallet. And that didn't work out. Uh, that didn't scale up. And then uh, in 2014, uh, Apple had launched Apple Pay. And that started picking up. Uh, and one of the reasons that started picking up was Apple is really good uh, when it comes to marketing a product. Apple, uh, sorry, Apple Pay specifically, uh, was a completely new way of making payments. And if you look at payments, uh, it takes decades to change a habit uh, of someone of how to pay. Uh, but uh, with the might of Apple, that started happening. Uh, the kind of marketing that uh, Apple did, uh, it started happening. And that's when Google uh, said, hey, we should put a second attempt to making a payments product. Uh, and that's the team that I joined. So we, uh, it was called Android Pay at that time. And Google is really good with uh, Uh, building uh, 10 different product names uh, for the same product. So we changed from Google Wallet to Android Pay, and it's now called Google Pay. But uh, it was called Android Pay uh, when we uh, were building it. Uh, And the part of product that I was handling was uh, the in-store payments experience, which was the NFC-based tap-and-pay payments. Uh, Again, one of the hardest products to be built, I would say, in in terms of the engineering. Imagine uh, a product, uh, if you want to make a payment at a store, right? when you're doing a very simple tap, uh, there are at least 10 companies that is involved in that 500 milliseconds of transaction uh yep. there is device there is a device oem uh there is a uh, os uh, that is playing out there is an app which is android pay uh then there is uh, the there are uh, two uh, banks that are involved there is a visa or an amex or a mastercard that is involved uh, and then there are different uh, payment rails of acquirers that are involved right so how do you uh, in that context uh, how do you build a product that can talk to both the hardware and the software layer uh, and talk to these 10 different companies at the same time and make sure that your product works 9999999 percent times because if your product doesn't have that kind of reliability uh, if your product fails let's say if you make a if you try to make a payment uh, and it fails 1 in 100 times uh, you would never ever try it again because you will be, uh, you'll be really humiliated right you are basically holding up you are you are waiting in the queue you are making 10 people wait behind you if you fail once uh, uh, you would never give a shot right so that was the kind of challenge that we had uh, so one of the most complicated products to build but i think uh, in the us it has started seeing a lot of traction but india product is actually quite different uh, the product that you are seeing in india was a completely different initiative it was started in india by the india team and the kind of scale it picked up is amazing we never expected that whenever we uh, discussed at Google that, hey, we should build a payments product for India. This was back in 2014. We would never prioritize India. We would think that, hey, India doesn't have any potential for a product like this. And this was a completely different team in India that came up with with Google Pay. Uh, and I think a lot of that was driven because of what was happening in the Indian market at that time, uh, UPI coming in. But uh, I would say uh, it's uh, that's a completely different what, amazing
0: story. It was more 2016, 17. I think, I think this was all happening behind the scenes, I think. People didn't know what was already going on. But now, when I read reports about how UPI wants, to, now other countries want to adopt UPI there because it's such a simple product, right. uh, it, it, it's a proud moment, right? I mean, it's almost a government backed uh, product that, that will now get exported across the world. So, so good. So, you, you were with Google now. But what were your takeaways? I mean, I visited the Google campus to to a personal connect. I was truly amazed. I came back with so many things. That I implemented back when I came, you know, came home to Arthur. But for you, what were some of the takeaways you took from Google's culture? Yeah, I would say uh, is uh, it's a very different
1: culture than uh, what I'd ever seen anywhere else. Uh, it's a culture which is very engineering-driven. At Google, engineers are the god; they are the decision makers in a very true sense. And it's because of who the company was started with, right? It was Larry and Sergey who started the company, who are engineers at heart. Uh, so it's one of the very very few companies which is driven by engineering and there is good and bad to it right the good is uh, you are solving the hardest problems because engineers don't want to work on something that's very trivial uh, in nature so If you look at the most complicated engineering problems, you can expect Google to solve it, uh, be it the search engine of the world or the, self driving car of the world. The bad part is uh, uh, that uh, a lot of times, uh, to build a large business, you need a lot of other components, right? be it uh, operations, be it marketing. And those are things that uh, I would say Google is not good at, because of which uh, a lot of other products, like, uh, let's say, Google Shopping didn't work out. Google tried. Many, many attempts at e commerce never ever worked out. Google tried many attempts at hardware, uh, never ever worked out, right? So uh, uh, it's a different culture, uh, but I think a good part of the engineering culture is, and again, you can say, hey, the companies like Google, there are companies like Apple, right? But these are two very different companies uh, at the heart. Uh, Google is a very, very bottom up culture company where the, the junior-most engineer can come up with an idea and actually make it happen, try it out as a product, and actually launch it in the market. Versus Apple, which is very, very top-down. Uh, and I think over time, I realized that hey, there is a culture that I associate more with, uh, uh, which is a bottom-up culture, uh, which is Google rather than Apple. So if I would ever work at a company, if I would ever want to build a company, I would want to build a Google rather than an Apple.
0: And and that's I think that's what took you next. The next destination for your career at that time was HyperTrack. Which is a live location platform in the cloud offering developer tools for mobile application developers and companies of all sizes worldwide. Right? Tools are contained iOS, Android SDKs to generate live location data that is then consumed through web books, APIs, or visual experiences on the web. The company raised eight and a half million from a number of uh, very marquee funds, Nexus, Founders Fund. Uh, it had Dipinder from Zomato also as an agent investor. Uh, how did this? You know, you, this this is a company back back in Bangalore, I'm guessing. And
1: uh, yeah, so, so, how this did this happen? Yeah, no, very interesting story. So this was uh, actually uh, uh, this was an idea uh, originally by Kashyap. Uh, uh, Kashyap is again one of the co-founders. But uh, I had known Kashyap for for last ten years. Uh, very interestingly, uh, I was I was a customer of. Catchup, when I was at 9.9 Media and Catchup was running his company called chopati Bazaar. So I'd known Kachap for the last uh, uh, 10 years. And he was, he was, uh, he started imagining what he could build around like location. Uh, this was back in end of 2015 and he was in the Bay area. Uh, and that's when we were catching up and uh, a lot of things clicked and we uh, uh, decided that, Hey, uh, uh, I should come in, and I should move to pack my bags, move to India uh, uh, to build. Uh, I track within. with him. One of the things that uh, uh, I think, two things that excited me. One, because of uh, Google My Business. So Google My Business was actually a part of Google Maps product. Uh, uh, we were within a Google Maps team. So I had a lot of context about building mapping products and building live location products uh, or location products, not live location products. Uh, so uh, when uh, Kashyap described what he was building, I had context of what can be built. Uh, and why google can't build it and this was one of the questions that uh, everyone would ask hey doesn't google already provide that or hey can't, can't google get this maybe in a few months down the line and i had a very strong conviction that hey google can't that eventually led to moving back uh, we started in delhi actually for we were in delhi for a uh, for actually a year and a half then we moved to bangalore for the next year and a half but now the entire team
0: has actually moved to the us uh, and hypertrack is completely being built out of the us but the us now what's well, gone back yes, yes. And, uh, and 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 you you actually joined as i mean you you want a co-founder you joined the company and then were elevated to the position of co-founder which is very interesting not not a lot of indian companies are known to do that but what is it what, what was it that you offered that then that, that you know two founders were already started the company then elevated you to the co-founder position
1: i mean i didn't give a lot of weightage to that i think the way we were working together pushup me and tapan at that time we were we were all working like co-founders, but definitely this was originally Kashyap uh, and Tappan's idea. So on the paper, uh, it was not a uh, there was no position called co-founder. But uh, uh, in a couple of years, this was something again uh, that Kashyap brought in that hey, given what you're doing uh, and you've been, I mean you join in a, a few months later, but uh, you've been a co-founder to us, so we should rather we should rather call you co-founder. So. Uh, I don't think it was a big change. But uh, I think the other reason it happened is also because Kashyap has built a lot of his companies in the U.S. So he knows the U.S. culture uh, and he knows that hey, it takes uh, a very long time to build a company, right? So in that long journey, uh, a few months here and there, it doesn't matter. Uh, so he always taught folks like uh, co-founder I thought uh, uh, that we should formalize it.
0: So in your opinion, and then for the founders that are listening in, right, if you're trying to trying to elevate somebody in your team from the position of, you know, let's say a senior employee or, or a critical employee, to co-founder, what are the three things that you should be looking for in that person?
1: Yeah, I would say, see, number one, uh, you have to be really, as a founder, you have to be really clear why you are doing this, right? Are you really... Uh, thinking of that person as a co-founder and if, if the answer to that is yes uh, then and only then you should do it if you are doing that for some other hidden agenda right that hey you want to retain that person you want to or you want that person to get into an ownership mindset that person doesn't have that ownership mindset but you want to drive that person to have that ownership mindset i think those are wrong reasons to do that so uh, my first advice would be that do it only if you truly believe that person is already a co-founder for you, right? And that's the working relationship that you have. Uh, and if you believe that, then I would say there is nothing, no other checklist in my mind, right? There are no three things. Right? If you're working with that person as a co-founder and that person is wo- putting his, his efforts into the company uh, and building that company as a co-founder, Uh, then you better call that person a co-founder, I think. There is nothing uh, that
0: should stop you. I mean, and and I think it's very important to also, it shows a lot of maturity in the founding team. For me as an investor, if I see somebody saying, you know what, I think this guy deserves it, this person, this female deserves this because she's putting that extra bit of effort that nobody else is currently putting in that that I believe is co-founder material. When you see that kind of maturity in the founders, you know that they're not going to try to hoard all of it for themselves, right? They're more than happy to give it out. And it's so many times when you give those things out, then you get everything back in return. And so, so after, after being a co-founder, I mean, HyperTrack is still, I think, uh, an operating company in the U S what, what let, made you leave that and, and you completely like jumped, you know, entire oceans at this point to, to health insurance and health techs. So we'll get into plum, but before we get there, uh, you know, what was it that, that led, led to the change?
1: Yeah, I think uh, this is a big learning for us. Uh, So we were always building HyperTrack for the US market. I mean, for the global market, but US was the largest market. Uh, But uh, we had this false belief that, hey, we can build this out of India. Uh, One of the learnings for us was, hey, if you are building a product that already exists in the US, and you are uh, doing it faster, better, cheaper, then you can build it in India because you know what you're building. You are just building. You're taking some of the advantages of India. Uh, and building it faster, better, cheaper, right? HyperTrack was a company uh, uh, or a product that we were building, which didn't exist globally. Um, and we were trying to imagine, hey, what does a customer sitting in the Bay Area think of? Think of Instacart, think of Uber, right? Uh, think of Dodash and the developers in those companies. What would those people need? And we were doing that sitting out of Delhi or Bangalore. Uh, I think over years we realized that, hey, very, very, it's almost next to impossible to do that. Uh, we kept running around in circles. Uh, we kept getting a lot of traction in India and realized that hey, India is not a large market for what we are building. The US is a large market, uh, and we were never able to get that traction in the US. Uh, so, uh, after a few attempts, uh, a few failed attempts, uh, we decided that hey, we have to take a hard call and uh, build this out of US. And I think once we have figured out the product market fit, then we can imagine uh, again, let's say, building a smallish engineering team uh, in India if you have to scale it up, but. The initial traction has to come sitting out of the U.S. So uh, that's when we decided to move the entire team and the company to the U.S. Uh, and in that, uh, in that, uh, in that scheme of things, uh, I had personally done a lot of move from from India to U.S. to India so when I had to take a very hard uh, call, uh, something that I didn't want to, but I had to take a hard call uh, to not uh, make my family move back to U.S. Uh, completely dismantle everything. I had moved back to India to build things in India to build teams in India. So. Uh, that's when I decided that, hey, I'll move on to uh, more of an advisory role. Uh, so back in uh, mid of 2019, uh, I, I stopped working full time and moved into more of an advisory role
0: for a year or so. Uh, so that's how the transition uh, outside HyperTrack happened. Hoping you hold, you well down to all your ESOS. I think that company is going to do very well. I, in fact, found something very interesting on the internet. I believe you developed a pattern for systems and methods for receiving sensor data from a mobile device.
1: Yes. Uh, so we were we were doing very interesting stuff at HyperTrack. As I said, right? It's uh, uh, these were uh, technological problems uh, that were not solved before, uh, and one of the hardest engineering problems that we were trying to solve. Uh, and the patent was around uh, how do you uh, how do you get real time location uh, from a mobile device, let's say a device of a of an Uber driver or a Dodash delivery boy. Uh, to the, uh, to the device uh, of the end customer that wants to live track uh, the delivery uh, or the driver. Uh, how do you get that real time location and accurate location while uh, conserving the battery on the Basically,
0: device? Basically, what you see on my Swiggy when I'm ordering from Swiggy or for, on an Uber, the fact that I can track where that guy is, that is that, that's the patent that you filed and received.
1: Correct. So that's the uh, uh, I would say not not exactly the whole pa- uh, the patent is not exactly that, but the patent is uh, how do you do that in the most efficient way, uh, which is how do you transmit location from one device to the cloud uh, in the most efficient and real
0: time manner, and 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 then you know you obviously shifted gears and then you went on to do Plum. right? So what? So now, now that we've come you know to this journey, we've come to this juncture. Right? Quick question that I want to ask you, like. What does Plum do in in three sentences or less? Yeah, definitely. Uh, So
1: with Plum, we are uh, uh, making health insurance and group health insurance uh, accessible and affordable for small businesses and startups. Uh, Think of companies with uh, companies as small as five employees, seven employees, or as big as 500 employees. Uh, These companies right now don't have access to a comprehensive but an affordable health insurance and very, uh, a lot of different reasons of how the market has evolved in India. Uh, But we are trying to reimagine uh, the whole health insurance stack in India uh, for the
0: corporates. This is the question that didn't come up with my team came up with, with this question, because, you know, looking at your history, all the ventures are so different, right? Party supplies, cloud competitor, HyperTrack, and now plum. And the question they had is how do you get these ideas for these ventures?
1: Yeah no that's a that's a very interesting question uh i think for me personally uh, see what we learn over time is uh how to uh how to build a team right uh, how to build a product and to me industry uh, is not really uh, an expertise that's hard to gain right you can basically work uh, talk to people you can work for a few months and you can easily learn how the industry works uh so to me uh the excitement the learning is about Uh, how to build a company rather than becoming an expert in a specific domain Uh, uh, so whenever I go about building a new business to me uh, then it is about if I restrict myself to whatever what I have done previously then it's a very narrow range of things that I could do right Uh, and to me why do I why should I put that constraint because uh, learning about a new industry shouldn't be that tough so when we started building uh, or when we start thinking about Plum, uh, uh, and this is along with Sora, we uh, that's one thing where we were very aligned that, hey, actually going and learning about a new industry, is uh, it's a very easy task for both of us, uh, and we should be able to do that. And let's uh, think with an open mind about uh, what are some of the largest problems that we have seen in our lives, uh, that we have seen, that we have heard from our friends uh, or colleagues, and let's go and solve that. And how did you meet your co-founder, Saurabh? Yeah, very interesting. Uh, uh, so this was, again, to a mutual friend. We were This is back in mid-2019 when I was about to leave HyperTrack. Uh, I was already uh, imagining what I wanted to build and talking to a lot of people. So one of the folks heard very similar idea from both me and Saurabh. And he said, hey, you guys should uh, connect. You are talking. It uh, looks like you're building very similar things. Maybe you can exchange ideas. Uh, uh, so that's how we met uh, just over coffee to exchange ideas. Uh, and one thing led to another. We we spent, uh, I would say, a good four to five months dating, figuring out hey if we should build things together. Uh, and I think over those few months, uh, we built a huge confidence that hey, what we bring to the table and the way we want to build this uh, has uh, so much of alignment that hey, uh, we should actually build this together. Uh, uh, but I think one of the things that also clicked was uh, we had very similar
0: ideas in our mind of what to build. So this time, you know, obviously you you had a very little, very little. Uh, Otherwise, you know, all your co-founders you've had some sort of an association for a longer period of time, but this time was very quick. You only met the guy. You don't you don't really know him from ages ago, uh and and but but what was the what were the three things that you found in him that you were like you know what this guy is my co-founder I'm going to build plum for the next ten years of this guy.
1: Yeah, no, definitely, and I think one of the learnings for me was also uh from these experiences, right, of what uh, works and what doesn't work in our co-founders. So, uh, and that's something that Saurabh was also bringing. has done his, his as well, and he was very clear on uh, things to look in the co-founder. So we actually spent a good uh, five or six months uh, dating before uh, finally making a decision. It wasn't a uh, it wasn't a, a one day or a one month kind of decision. It took a good amount of time. In terms, going back to your question, what are the things that we looked at? Uh, I think number one was very, I would say, alignment in terms of uh, how we would build a company. Uh, in terms of values that you want to bring in to building the company, uh, and that was very important because the end of the day, everything else would change. Uh, maybe what you're building would change, your customers would change, your product that you're building is not working out. The values, uh, if they match, then you would come up with the next best thing that you could build together, right? Uh, if you have a, a clarity of uh, why Sorab is doing this and why Abhishek is doing this, right? You, if you have that clarity, so. Uh, to, to us and to both of us. Uh, that was the first thing that we talked about. Uh, and that was, I would say, there uh, was a topic where we spent a lot of time on in our subsequent conversations as well. Number two was having that conviction on what you want to build. Uh, it has to come on your own. If one co-founder is trying to build that conviction in the second co-founder, that makes it really hard because Maybe after a few, in a, after a few, uh, uh, let's say after a few losses, uh, or in the time of hardship, uh, that conviction can very easily go away in that second co-founder uh, because it was a, uh, it was an acquired conviction rather than your own conviction. And to us, uh, one of the things that clicked, uh, and that was the reason we met each other, was uh, that we had very similar ideas. And this guy said, "Hey, you have very similar ideas," and you should talk, right." So we had. Build that conviction on our own, and then met each other. And number three was, uh, uh, and this was uh, very important to me personally, which is uh, uh, humility in someone that I work with. Uh, I have seen uh, two kinds of co-founders, both in the U.S. and India, uh, and both work really well. Right? Uh, there's no right or wrong, but there are founders who I would say uh, think of think of Steve Jobs. Right? Uh, he's a perfect example of someone who may not have the humility. Right? Uh, but he will. He built an excellent, a very large company, right? But uh, he's not a person that I would want to build a company with. Uh, I would rather build a company with someone like, I would say, uh, Larry or Sergey, right? Uh, who is, who are very very humble. So to me, uh, that humility was very important. Uh, and again, that was uh, that's something that I saw uh, in someone like Saurabh, again, who has done fantastic work. He has built a company, sold his company to Freshworks. Uh, but again, he
0: was a person who was very, very humble. But then both, but you are starting a company in an area that you had very little experience in. So what, what are the challenges of this approach? Cause you know, typically as investors, we want to know, Hey, listen, how long have you been in this area? What is your experience insurance? You haven't done. You don't, you don't, I mean, you're not an actuary. You don't really, I mean, it's not a space that you understand. So what are the challenges of the approach when you say, you know, in 19, 19 in the middle of 2020, A year ago, you decided, you know what, I'm going to build this thing called Plum, and then you went for it. What are the challenges of the approach and how do you overcome that? Yeah, I would say uh, we actually saw
1: it as an advantage. Uh, See, if you look at insurance, uh, last 20 years, there has been very limited innovation. Uh, A lot of insurance companies that got started were uh, by folks who had a deep experience in insurance. Uh, but the challenge with that is that you insurance is such a old school business that uh, you don't challenge how things are done. You just assume that, hey, this is how underwriting has to be done. Uh, or hey, this is how, uh, let's say, a policy has to be issued uh, or a certain claims process has to happen. Uh, so for us, for Saurabh and me, uh, actually, that was one of the strengths that uh, we wanted to build, and this was this was something that Saurabh had brought brought up very early on. That hey, this will be our competitive advantage, which is hey, we are two folks who are outside the industry, and we can go and ask very dumb questions to anyone and everyone. We can go and challenge each and every assumption, right? So, uh, and this happened throughout our life uh, cycle, wherein uh, we would uh, we would go to we would, we would go to an insurance partner uh, and ask very. Uh, dumb questions that, hey, why does it take five days to give a pricing? Why does it take 10 days to issue a policy? Why does it take and two hours to uh, get a claims done, right? Why can't we do things uh, in real time? We would hear answers that, hey, uh, it's impossible, but if you keep peeling the onion, right, if you keep asking the 10 why's, they would, these guys again would start thinking, yeah, maybe uh, these guys are saying the right thing and it is possible. Uh, and we started seeing some of that. So to us, not having that insurance industry experience was a huge advantage some of the challenges i mean there are definitely some of the challenges uh, uh, and we are basically uh building a team including a leadership team that brings in that industry experience to uh to the company uh but to us we actually take
0: that as an advantage rather than as a deterrent let's see that's a very i mean it's a very mature approach you, you've actually quantified saying okay this is because i don't come from the industry i have a fresh perspective on the industry and what i don't know i'm going to ask enough wise to figure out why I don't. Very very interesting approach. And and now now COVID nineteen completely changed the talk for the first time, right? Where we talked about you know how COVID completely changed the paradigm on the health of your company, right? Now the now the health of your company is as strong as the weakest employees or the weakest immunity of an employee, right? Uh, and, and and completely changing the paradigm. How has COVID nineteen accelerated?
1: No, I think we, we again, we got really lucky uh, to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, And this is one of the things that uh, that has to happen with any startup, right? Uh, You will do 99 right things while building your company, but uh, you always need a bit of luck. Uh, uh, And I think that luck, I know there is a lot of uh, horror stories around COVID, but we were very lucky to be on the right side. Uh, at the right time. I think one of the things with COVID is, or I would say two things that have happened with COVID. One is there is just a general awareness that has been built around importance of health insurance. So any general public that you talk to, right, you talk to your family members and they would now understand that uh, the hospital expenses can be really high. It will, uh, no matter how much I have uh, as my balance, it can really hurt my pockets, right? Uh, so they understand the impact of health insurance. So that's number one. And uh, what that has triggered is now they have started going and talking to their uh, companies, to their employers that, hey, uh, health insurance is one of those important things. And if you are not giving it to me, that's something that you should consider, right? So now the companies have started thinking about, hey, uh, uh, we should really think about our employees and uh, give them health insurance. Uh, and especially if these companies are now asking to come back to the office, right? It means they are. Uh, asking the employees to risk their life with respect to COVID, then it becomes much more important to provide them with some financial uh, uh, security of health insurance. So eventually what we are seeing is uh, traditionally, if you think of health insurance, it was always considered a push product, uh, but we are now starting to see uh, health insurance becoming a pull. Uh, And we right now have uh, a few hundred corporate customers, corporates that are using Plum. 100% of them uh, have been uh, a pull customer, which means they discovered Plum, uh, or heard about Plum, they signed up uh, and they started using Plum, right? And uh, that's that's a place uh, or that's a product or a company that you want to build where uh, you see a market pull rather than uh, you going and pushing a product.
0: So Abhishek, let's let's let me try adding maybe a couple more hundred more founders to your couple of hundred founders you already are backing. So if a founder today wants to reach out to you and say, you know what, I want to offer health insurance to my employees, I want to you know, I want you to build me a customized proposal how can they reach out to you no definitely uh,
1: the best would be to just uh, go to plumhq.com and you can customize your own plan uh, and that's the product that we are building which is we are making it really really easy for founders or the uh, or the or the hr heads to go and uh, customize your own insurance uh, within 60 seconds uh, and get a real-time pricing as well. And then again, if you need help on top of that customization, you can always reach out to me. My email ID is abhishek at plumhq.com. Uh, Always happy to help uh, any co-founders out there.
0: In fact, we have a very interesting question before we move on. Why is Plum called Plum?
1: Yeah, because we couldn't get
0: Apple, So Plum was the next best fruit. Uh, but, but so before we move on to the last round, which is the rapid fire questions, uh, Quick question, are you hiring?
1: We are, we are, uh, we are growing really fast uh, and we are hiring, we have to build uh, a team. We have a very small team of uh, uh, of 15 people right now and we are still uh, building that founding team that would uh, take Plumb to the next level. Uh, when I say next level, uh, we want to grow to 10,000 companies uh, in the next year or so, right? So we are looking at a hundred X kind of growth. Uh, so we are hiring for, uh, I would say we are hiring for guys who can hustle, right? And hustle in terms of growth, hustle in terms of uh, sales, hustle in terms of engineering and building the product, uh, hustle in terms of designing. So we are looking for people uh, with all dimensions, but uh, we're looking for folks who can hustle.
0: Abhishek, it's a great conversation so far. I know we've got about 10 minutes. We're already five minutes over. So I'm going to take you quickly through rapid fire. First question is the Peter Thiel question. One thing that you know to be true, but very few people agree with you on it. That uh,
1: insurance can be built by an outsider. One piece of advice to founders about funding? I would say look for VCs, uh, look for investors uh, who have patience when you are early in the game, uh, and then look for VCs who wouldn't meddle in uh, when you are late in the game.
0: Who is your favorite superhero and why?
1: I would say Iron Man. Yeah, why? I would say because he's probably the only superhero <laughs> who's, who looks real. Uh, I can relate to him. I I think it is possible, uh, humanly possible. Uh, All the other superheroes are very imaginary, not real world.
0: Next question. I think you've sort of answered this before, but scaling before profitability, profitability before scaling.
1: Yeah, I would say uh, I'm thinking of profitability from day one, but uh, I would... uh, Take actions to scale first and then bring business to profitability. But uh, always, I will always have profitability back in my mind. Always have numbers back in my mind to figure out that whatever I'm doing, I can make it profitable.
0: If I don't have that answer, then I won't. If you could pick the brain of one person for 24 hours, ask them anything you want, who would it be?
1: Yeah, I would, uh, because we discussed uh, Iron Man, uh, I would say Elon Musk, because he's a person, again, very... (laughs) I mean, if I have to put a real person behind Iron Man, right, then I would say Elon Musk. Uh, And he has been doing amazing uh, things, right? Things uh, uh, that guy is a genius, that guy thinks out of the box and then also makes it happen. You see guys uh, who are either geniuses but cannot make it happen, uh, or guys who will use someone else's genius but uh, will make it happen. He's
0: a combination of both of that. One thing you would like to change about the Indian startup ecosystem?
1: Yeah, I would say be humble. I think uh, that's something that I learned uh, a bit from the US where uh, you would see amazing uh, founders, but very, very down to the earth. In India, this is very, very new uh, where startups are getting successful. So uh, I think we, as uh, founders, have to uh, learn how to uh, be humble and stay humble. Uh, And that's how we can make it sustainable, right? If you start losing that humility, you start making wrong decisions uh, around yourself uh, and you start uh, getting wrong people as well around you
0: over time. What is your typical morning like, Abhishek? What's the yeah. first time you <laughs>
1: do morning? With- oh, first thing. So I have a, I, I now have a nine months old. Uh, <laughs> I think the first hour or so is just spent uh, with the kiddo, taking care of her and doing the doing the normal routine for her, including uh, making her bath, uh, etc.
0: Uh, so oh, very wow, different.
1: If, if you had asked me nine months ago, very different answer. Now a very
0: different answer. When do you get your best work done now? Morning. Or, I'm guessing it's night now because morning. Late in the
1: night. Yeah, no, very late. Yeah. My 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 most productive time will be like 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Three books you would recommend to founders. One would be Hard Things About Hard Things. Second is uh, Deep Work, and the third one I would say is uh, The Monk
0: Who Sold His Ferrari. Great. And, and what is a what is a blog that that you are following right? Now?
1: Yeah, I, I still follow uh, PG's Paul Graham's blog a lot. I think he writes one of the best essays. But apart from that, we're not a avid uh, reader of one specific blog. I would say, I, uh, if I have to pick one blog that I read continuously, I would say PG's blog.
0: PG's blog. Great. So that with that, obviously, we come to the end of rapid fire, and I'm super glad. I mean, I, I think we had some really excellent answers, and, and you know, another founder who added on to the tally of Ironman uh, fans that we have. Uh, you know, <laughs> the money talks. But we've got one question before we end for the night. And yeah, you, I, have to,
1: you have to keep that Iron Man tally on your Twitter somewhere.
0: <laughs> I want to talk about that. How hey, Anisha and Shravan, why don't you guys? You know, I think that, that's we should actually have a thing that's called Sting, like Iron Man. You know, with, with maybe the Iron Man face that just gets one more number added. So can we make that happen? That that's an excellent suggestion. By the way, Abhishek. I'll ask you one question. One audience question, we'll take over here. Uh, Jayesh Jayesh Singhania, he said, what did you pitch to your first 10 to 15 customers and how long did it take to
1: close those deals? Yeah, the uh, the pitch to the first few customers was how we are making the life of your employees better uh, by getting the right kind of uh, health insurance. The first customer took a good three months. Uh, We started the idea or the product back in November and the first customer we got in uh, uh, end of December, early Jan. Uh, So it took us good two to three months. Uh, The first 15 customers took us uh, a good 5 to 6 months uh, so it took a lot of time to get the first few customers uh, but it was also because of we were we were learning the industry right we didn't understand insurance at all so uh, there was a lot of room for us to cover in terms of
0: understanding the industry and building the product and how long did the last 15 customers take to close? one week one week so 5 months for the first 15 and then good that, that that's the truth it's called momentum I've been Correct. In, I mean, Correct. as somebody in sales, it's all about momentum. And now I'm sure there'll be a day where there'll be 15 customers a day. You'll be like, you know, we just closed 15 customers yesterday and we 15 customers in an hour. And you see this every single time, just keep building on this, Abhishek. Uh, so with this, Abhishek, thank you so much for your time. I know we ran about 15 minutes over than what I promised, but I think we've had an excellent session, so much to learn, you know, from a founder who's obviously been on both sides of, of the oceans and, and has, you know. Got some very interesting perspective. We've done so many different things in life that I, I can tell you that Plum is going to do very well, just because of the tenacity of the experience from the experience that you've received. So, any final thoughts for the founders that we have?
1: Yeah, I would say chase the right metrics uh, would be the only thought. Uh, don't go for don't go for metrics that don't add value to the business that you're building. Right, you're building startups because. Uh, you want to build some legacy behind you or you want to solve a large problem and if you're doing the startup for those reasons then be very sure about uh, uh, what are those what are the right metrics that will show that you're doing the right thing if you go behind the wrong metrics like hey what's the valuation what's the uh, amount of funding that you have raised or some other vanity metric then eventually in the few years down the line you would look back and uh, regret why you did what you did but if you choose the right metrics and no matter how it turns out you will learn a lot from those
0: few years of experience that is great thank you so much abhishek i think you know wish by, by the way wish you a very happy diwali i know it's coming up the, you know I, I wish really the best for plum i think I, at some point i'll be writing an article about how you're in my anti-portfolio too and probably co-author that with with ashish And, and, uh, but we'll, you know, we'll, we'll secretly wishing for you to go on and keep scaling the heights. Thanks a lot for your time. Thank you so much, Anirudh, for having us. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you guys next week.